Good morning, ladies, and welcome to Parshas Matos Masai. These Parshas I have never taught before, and this is going to be a first for me, and you'll share with me the first. Let me first tell you what are some of the major highlights of this week, these two weeks, these two Parshios. Number one, this talks about a lot of spaces dedicated for the, for the Isser, for the, for, uh, we're forbidden to make a netter. It's very, 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 uh, a person should really try to avoid swearing in any type of shape or place or form. So that's one thing. We also speak about at the end, they, they, they include extra things about um, Aaron's, details of Aaron's patira, which was in Parsha's Chukas, but it was where he was buried, which was Har Hor Hahar, and how he just like went up there ready to do what Hashem wanted. He knew this was his mission, there was no protest, no nothing, and how he did it as if it was another service in the base of Mikdash. We find something we're going to get into today. Uh, B'nai Ruvain God and the half the tribe of Manasseh asked Misha if they could have an inheritance on the east side of the Jordan River, and we'll get into that. We're going to talk about how Moshe was told as the last commandment before he dies to take Nakama against the Midianites. We're talk, we talk in this week's parish about kashering. That's in the end of Matos, about ca- how you have to kasher vessels. That's where we learn it from. We also learn about dunking uh, dishes in the mikvah, kaivaling. Ir Miklot is mentioned, talking about the cities of refuge. And this is the last mitzvah actually that Moshe performed was um, taking six cities for the east side of the Jordan. And we're going to later see, altogether there were 48 Ari Miklot. And so 42 on one side, but six for the little uh, patch of land that was on the east side of the Jordan. And in Masai, um, we talk about all the, we recount all the places, the 42 stops the Jews made in the desert from when they left Mitzrayim. So that's basically the parsha. The summary, let's get into our questions and then some amazing answers. Of course, we try usually for four because that's the theme of uh, four questions is like the thing of the Jewish people. First of all, question number one. If you, if we, I don't have time since we've taken so long as it is this morning, but Moshe Rabbeinu gives quite a speech to the B'nai God Ruben and half the tribe of Manasseh. They wanted, they kind of approach him politely, nicely, midos tovos, derecheres, and they ask him, Give us, please, the side on the east of the yarding, uh, because we have a lot of cattle, and it looks more fertile so far at this point than Eretz Yisrael, and we think we need to spread out, and that'll be the most ideal for our cattle. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu gives them an entire muster speech, um, which was very interesting, actually, like, well, everything in the Torah is interesting, I shouldn't say that, um, but in any case... They came and they they, they 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 told him they need these place and if, if it's favored your eyes all nicely they asked him and this um, but Moshe Rabbeinu evokes um, the, the image of the Miraglim, of the, the sin of the spies and he tells them uh, you know your your brothers are going to go into war to conquer Eretz Yisrael and you won't be with them Lama Sanun is slave Bnei Yisrael. Why are you dissuading the Jewish people? This is like Chayda Maragle. They, they, they dissuaded the Jewish people from going there. Why are you joining in that? And it, it mentions how terrible they were. Um, and then it says, as Shem was angry at all of you, and only Kalev and Yoshua are going to inherit the, 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 the country and not in, in your generation is, but not your forefathers because they complained about the sin of the Maraglim. Really, a lot of, a lot of sukkim, a lot of words. And then they said, but we're just going to do this for our sheep and, 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 and we're going to make cities for our children. And then we're going to, and we will go and help you conquer Eretz Yisrael. And we will not go home until we, until we help each person get to their nakwa. Uh, after Moshe tells them, he says, okay, if you're going to come for Melchama, um, and they, you will have to be there the entire time until every single Jew has put, has been put in his home. So then Bill, and then he switches things around. He mentions Hashem's name a lot in his dialogue, which they didn't. And he says, okay, build cities for your children and build fences for your sheep. And what you said, I will grant you. So then, okay, they said, you know, we're going to, uh, they, then they switch around and they said, we're going to take care of our, 
our children, our wives, and all of our cattle in the cities of the Gilad. And we will go to, into war and, um, and you know, that's what happened. They, they agreed to go into war. That's that. Now, why, why, why did um, we find that, um, why did they ask for this so far in advance? And what was so terrible that they got such a Muslim from Moshe Rabbeinu? They just asked for their portion. He, he compared them to the Maraglim and he switched around the way they spoke. Why are all these changes made? Number two, Moshe commanded, was commanded by Hashem, Moshe Rabbeinu, you are soon going to leave this world. Go and take revenge against the Midianim who made you people sin in Baal, with Baal Peor. So what does Moshe Rabbeinu do? Moshe Rabbeinu comes and he doesn't immediately, he doesn't immediately, even though he knows it's, his death is contingent on him completing this task, but he doesn't, without, without fail, Shem told me to do it, I'm doing it. And then, however, he asked Pinchas to lead the war. Why did Moshe himself wage war against the Midianim? Shem asked him that he should be taking them to come against the Midianim. How can you switch God's commandment? Third question is, why are we recounting all the travails of the Jewish people again? A whole Parsha spent, and a lot in Devarim as well, about, you know, all the, we see it once. How many times do you have to recount what they went through in their sojourn in the desert? And the last question, we mentioned a little bit about the Ari Miklat, the cities of refuge, and we're told that the Kohen Gadol, that the anyone that kills by accident, murders by ac accidentally commits murder, has to run to a city of refuge, and there no one can take revenge. You know, normally, halakhically, a person is allowed to take revenge. That's really incredible you know, for our democratic ears to hear, liberal ears that uh, a person is allowed, if they feel, you know, this person committed murder to my blank, 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 they're allowed to run after them. But as soon as this person goes to Ir Miklat, they are totally, it's like a free space. They are totally um, saved from this situation. They don't have to, uh, they don't have to be afraid for their lives anymore because here in the Ir Miklat, they will be safe. They have to be in one of the cities of the Levium. But the interesting thing is, if the Kohen Gadol passes away during their sojourn in the Ermiklat, they are all set free. All can go free. Otherwise, they have to stay there until the next Kohen Gadol is necessary. If somebody has a ruling and, um, and they didn't quite yet make it to the Ermiklat and the Kohen Gadol passes away in between, they never have to go into the Ermiklat. There's a real connection between the Kohen Gadol being alive and staying in the Ermiklat. And it says that the mothers of the Kohanim Gedolim used to make food and drink and clothing for the prisoners or whatever you want to call them, the people that were stuck in the Ermiklat. Uh, so they would find favor in these people's eyes and these people would either, two opinions, either pray for the Kohen Gadol not to be Nifter or to pray just to, you know, just to pray for him, just to pray in a positive way that he should be, you know, should live. So... It's very, very interesting that the coin is so dependent on these people that murdered accidentally. What's the tie-in there? So those are our questions. Let's get started with some life-changing responses and um, ideas. And here we go. Okay, again, if you have any questions, there is a place to raise your hand or something. You can ask a question. As long as it's on the spot of what we are, we're doing, I'm happy. And if not, I'll put it off to the end. Now, let's first deal with the Parsha of the travails, all the traveling, Maasai, that a lot of times we don't get into. Very famous Rashi brings down a muscle of a king who had to take his child on a long journey to doctors because the child was ailing. And as he was taking his child to all the doctors, um, you know, different things occurred. Like sometimes the, the horse's uh, horseshoe fell off or sometime, one time the child bumped his head, or one time he was bitten by a black fly, which can be quite difficult in Ontario. Or, you know, all the kind of things that can occur to one's child. And afterwards, the child was healed, and the father says, Mamala or Tatala, do you remember the time that you bumped your head? Do you remember when you were bitten by a black fly? Do you remember when 
You went through all these things. So too, Hashem recounts all the travails we went through in the Midbar. Now, Rashi says it's, uh, the analogy is not just how much Hashem loves us, but there is an analogy of the long journey. The long journey was because we were told in the Chumash, because the Hashem was afraid we'd want to go back to Mitzrayim. In other words, we had so much impurity in us, we needed these travails. We needed to be so long in the Midbar with Hashem taking care of us in order that we would become better people. And we needed this purification process, which was the purpose of the 40 years in the Midbar. Now, the Rambam says an important principle that's brought down by the Sifte Chaim, and also we're going to bring down some other things by the by the Rapatzko um, Levenstein primarily. First, we're going to bring Rapatzko. He says like this, the Rambam says that Emuna can best be experienced when you see things for yourself. If somebody would tell you, I witnessed something myself, it is much more powerful than if someone says, I heard something. We tend to take, that's why they have the expression, hearsay. Uh, we te- when we hear something, we don't always feel the evidence is so conclusive as if somebody has seen it for themselves. So, and it, because seeing is much more internalized. We've spoken many times about this. That it says a summa chashav kameis or Chaim Shmulevitz says the hardest the hardest life of all is that of somebody that's lost his sight more than a deaf person because a deaf person there's so much you gain by seeing the, another person you see how they think of you see if they have love for you even if you don't hear a word they say God forbid but a person if God forbid has lost sight sight you feel really alone even if you hear a voice speaking to you you still feel very in the dark so to speak. We take for granted the power of sight, looking outside, the clouds, the, 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 the sky. Sight is such a strong power we have. And we need to employ it, especially the summer months is our great time. We can use the summer to get closer to Hashem, to see all the beauty that's innate in the summer. Now, at the end of the day, says the Rambam, we won't need the power of sight as much, but we desperately needed it in those days. In fact, at the, at the end, when the, in, in Shmos Perakites, Rashi, it says, Pasuk, Atemer Isa Mashera Sisi Lumitzrayim. You saw yourself what I did to Mitzrayim. Rashi says, okay, let me see if I can read my writing. I can't read what I, what I said. Oh, yeah, I see it. Okay. Loba Masores Hibiyatchem. It's not a Masora that you have, Rashi says. You don't have a tradition of seeing me do such things as a nation to another nation. It was like a whole bunch of fireworks, so to speak. We saw the Makos. We saw Kriyas Yamsuf. We saw Yitzhiyas Bitzrayim. Tremendous amount of miracles. And he says, it's not from Masores. We don't have it from tradition. That wasn't good enough. I'm not with words I'm proving to you. I'm not bringing you witnesses. You saw yourself. Sight has such a powerful force to it. The Rambam says, what was the purpose of our life in the desert? Usually people don't rely on, you know, but usually we say that for 40 years, two and a half million people had to survive in a desert. And the Ramban attests that there was no nearby Yishu, but people may think, you know, it wasn't like there was the oasis five minutes away. You could always go to the store right nearby. This was really a deep and dark desert for 40 years. And two and a half people in Malpillion survived. Like they had to experience that, not to just hear about it. Well, we're hearing about it, but we had our forefathers experience it. Second thing, besides that we survived that desert, we're told in the Pesukim, lo chisarta davar. We never lacked anything. We never lacked anything. It's like you can imagine they had food, they had, they wanted, they had the Slav at a point, they even had the, the, the cattle from its shrine. They had the bear of Miriam. Their clothes never wore out. No laundry women. Can you imagine never having to do laundry? And the daily man, every day Hashem says, you think I just neglected you, gave you a bunch of food in the freezer? No, every day it came down to show his love for 40 years in a row. The purpose for all this, says Rav Chatzka Levenstein, is because 
we needed we needed this daily reminder. We needed reminders. We needed to experience experiential learning. That's what we needed for 40 years. And there was no, we didn't have a, um, you know, we needed to, to go through all this. And that's so important. If we can internalize this idea, it can help us tremendously with Amuna. That's what the Jews needed as a daily dose and even have a repetition afterwards at the end of this thing with precious Masai. They needed all this in order to be able to internalize Amuna. It's all through experiential learning. It's through seeing. Seeing is believing, right? That's the expression. Seeing is more powerful. That's why we should stop and look and smell the roses. Every time seeing is the way to really get deeply, deeply into connecting with Hashem. More than hearing, more than a Mesorus, which we didn't have. You know, the um, of Chaskel Zatzal also tells us that when Moshe Rabbeinu waged a war with the Midianites, 3,000 people from every Shevet were taken. Uh, you know, uh, so, and at the end, of it worked out to be 12,000 people went to actual war. And those are the biggest of the group. 12,000 would be carrying their ammunition. And 12,000 would be praying. So Chaskel says, don't think that these 12,000 people that were praying were just standing somewhere in a shul. They were on the battlefront itself. Because even the biggest tzaddikim who were fighting the Shem Shemaim, the Chamas Mitzvah, had to have, in front of their eyes, they had to be able to see tefillah. They had to be able to see what is giving you your Hatzlacha in this war? Tefillah. That's how we, you know, that, that we, we get things from this, the visual aids that we need in Amuna is what brought them. And that's why we, again, repeat these masos. We have to repeat it. Constant repetition helps us internalize Amuna. And specifically, the, um, of the, the things that we are self-witnessed. Because Naimla Torah tells us something very interesting. He adds on to this. He says that seeing is not enough, but it's the thought behind it. You know, it was interesting that the fact that this generation had no predecessors to teach them things. Usually, we give our children a big, huge advantage in, as young people, training them in meetups. Now, of course, the way we're supposed to train our children is, I'm sorry, I keep fixing this because things are slipping. So the way we teach our children is getting them used to acting properly. You give them rewards and punishment for it. That way, it's so much easier for them. Like this generation, they've been trained in Shmer Salashin, for example, in school and by their parents. There's an awareness in our generation, thank God, that people have it in their bones, so it's easier to withstand life afterwards. And all kinds of mitos, be it chesed, be it jealousy, anything, whatever we impart in our children, of course, in a positive way, basically, gets swallowed, and it's there. Florence as many times told me stories of her grandmother, the things her grandmother said, and they're still with her today. Because uh, these lessons aren't lost. These lessons aren't lost. We have, especially given in a positive way, this is what the children need to be spoon-fed, constantly all kinds of different hashkafas and, 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 and positive thoughts. And as parents and grandparents, we can, we can do this for them. But they had none of this. In the, in the midbar, they were a generation removed already from the time of the Shvatim, removed already from the time of Yerushalayim and seeing Yaakov Avinu and all the things. They had certain Masorah, yes, but they were lacking in, they didn't ever, no one ever got the Torah before them. They didn't, that was, there was no predecessor for that. Um, they were, they were like converts or Bali Chuba. That's what the Zayma Torah tells us. So what did they need for their, what did they need for their medicine when they were in the Midbar? says for the Zayma Torah, what they needed was, they needed miracles. Life had to be conducted in a miraculous fashion. They had to have the lesson loud and clear with a boom. It all started in Mitzrayim, but it continued in the Midbar. And not only miracles, but reward and punishment. That's how they had to live. Reward and punishment. It's very interesting. It's a whole new spin. I, I just did this myself yesterday. And that is, like, for example, why is it? Why, let's say, um, the Jews, it says... Um, they asked the question, Is God with us now? Amalek comes immediately. When they complained, zap. They get punished. When the miracle came with a false report, 
zap. There's all these magefas, these plagues, and this. It sounds like, why did these guys get it so hard? Okay, we say there are Shem judges, the tzaddikim, like Chut they judges them so minutely, but, you know, so in such a fine way because they're going to get a bigger olam haba. They get it in this world. But now we're seeing a bigger thing than that. The reason why they got it so harshly in the desert, this was their laboratory. This was their laboratory for being punished when they had something wrong. They had to immediately realize that there's a God in heaven and everything I do has consequences. And they really saw it in a major way. And, and the end of their teacher's life was coming to, and who do they have teaching them? The one and only, they, all the questions could be answered from Moshe Rabbeinu. When Moshe Rabbeinu is about to be Nipster, Parshish Devarim is the last day of his life, basically. Right now in Parshish Masai, Moshe Rabbeinu hazards over everything, all the lessons, all the Tzcharva Onesh, all the, the, the Nisim, the miracles they experienced in Mitzrayim, so they should have a feeling that Hashem has been with them the entire time. He loves them. He rewards them. He punishes them. And they are not alone. Now, somebody had a question. I don't know. You can yeah. post your question. Yeah, um, it's uh, Hannah Kleiner. Okay. Hannah Kleiner. This is low, but let's go. Okay. Um, they saw all the Nisim in Mitzrayim and how they were saved in Kriyas Yamsav. What happened to that, Amuna? From there. <laughs> what happened? You never, you never had it. We've had we've had times in our life where we saw mamish nisim. All of us, each one of us, right, ladies? We've all seen actual tremendous nisim in our lives. And how long does that imuna last? I mean, why are we davening three times a day? We're davening three times a day to internalize. That's what Rav Hatzel says to do. One of the, I mean, he says. Why do we daven so many times in our lives saying a bracha? Okay, we have to we have to be grateful. That's one thing. But we're also doing it for amuna, or amain is for amuna. All these things, because we need to internalize in our kishkas. You see something, it's not enough. It's not enough to see something. You need to see it over and over and over again. And even then, look where we are today as Kalei Look how far we've come. People take it for granted. They lose it. And that's that's why people have to, like, internalize emuna. It's a lifetime job. It doesn't come naturally. Emuna is not a natural state of being. It's something, a lifetime work that's required from all of us. Okay. Got it? Okay. Next. Let's speak next about the uh, another way to get emuna. So, so far we've just mentioned, just uh, as an aside, that um, that we need not, emuna has to be internalized and seeing is a very good power of sight and experiential is one way. But what the Zayn is adding is we need thought. We need thought. It's not enough. Hashem had to give us lessons. We need to think about them. He had to review them with us. We have to think about what we've experienced. That's where we mentioned a few weeks ago this campaign that's going on with Ilya Nishmas, my friend, Shalom, that um, to write down four things a day and then read it once a month. Four things a day, kindness we've seen in our lives. This is a, an old idea. Rav Chatzka Levenstein used to write down, say to write down all the shkacha pratis that we, we've experienced in our life. And for this is, it's, we have to, it, there's so many forces in our brain saying how terrible things are. We need to, you know, fix them by saying how great things are and internalizing those ideas. If you can't write them down, I used to find when I was going through really hard times, I'm, again, I can't say I've done this straight. I, I, if I would be, I'd be a much better person. But if we would, before we go to bed every night, people do a cheshpan and nefesh, do a cheshpan of all the good things Hashem has done for us that day. That internalizes our muna that with thought that we're employing, it helps us realize that Hashem has been with us throughout. And then even when we go through hard times, we say, look, he hasn't just fallen, fallen asleep at the wheel. He's, he's obviously has a good purpose to put us through all of this. Now, Rav Nassim, um no, so, so we, we, it's mentioned, the Sister Chaim tells us, that, and many of the Mephorshim say this as well, one of the things that was done wrong by the Ruvain God in Chatzim Menashe, when they asked Hashem for the east bank of the Yarden, is they weren't thinking. Says the Rav Nassim Bachbogel, perhaps they inherited this from their ancestor, from Ruvain at least, inherited it from their ancestor Ruvain, who was Pachas Kamayim, impetuosity. That was his uh, character trait that he always had to be conscious of. They... First of all, they mention in their dialogue first that they want to take care of their cattle, their sheep, 
before they mentioned their children. That's pretty sad. You know, that is very sad about that. Um, by the way, there's another board, cute board from the Mikdash Halevi who mentions, it's interesting, he says six Ari Miklat on the Eva Hayarden HaMizrache, six six Ari Miklat are set aside for this little portion of land for just two and a half tribes and 42 for the other. Why such a, such a big amount on the other side of Eretz Yisrael? And he says the reason is because um, it says in the Gemara, in, in Makos, I believe, that Gilad, you know, Elio Giladi, that's the Menasha, they had a lot of rotsim in the Shevet of Gilad, which is, but now why, and, and they say, well, why, did, you know, why is this, is, is that's a predestination, that they're predestined when they're born to be uh, rotsim, <laughs> like that? So the Mikta Shalevi says that, no, we see that why were they ended up being Reitzchem? And this is a big lesson. He said when they put their children last and their mik, their, their wealth first, they didn't have time for Chenech This is what people can produce. They produce Reitzchem, you know, which is it's just, uh, it's something we have to think about it. That, um, you know, this happens a lot of times. Kids, they even say this, I heard once in a psychological discussion by the psychologist, that the worst type of parenting is neglect. If parents too strict, um, you know, too lenient kiddos, but we're, not, we're talking about total neglect. Total neglect is the worst parenting of all because the child does not feel anyone cares enough to give them direction. And here is a case where their money was more important, their, their you know, acquisitions were more important than their own children. So that's perhaps, he says, why they produced uh, a lot of growth. But in any case, they're in such haste. They have, why don't they wait for the goral? Why don't they, they, they probably were predestined to live there, by the way. They didn't do anything wrong. There wasn't like a change in history. They would have, if Moshe said so, then that they were allowed to live there, then it was by Hashem that they were allowed to live there. There are things, by the way, that they're missing by living there. It was considered Eretz Yisrael proper, but they, the Bikurim could not be brought from there. And I believe also the Omer uh, could not be brought from there. So why live in a Bidiyevet Eretz Yisrael? That in the Lachachila Eretz Yisrael, that's one thing. They weren't thinking. They weren't thinking that Eretz Yisrael could have been more fertile than than there. Perhaps that just they hadn't been there yet. Um, they also they were you know the whole idea they weren't they weren't thinking, and uh, because they were the first people, they were so hasty. They were the first people to go into Gullus, where these two and a half tribes. And it's, it's, it's in Divrahiyam, in the Pasuk, that the, ultimately these, these three, two and a half tribes ended up being in Gullus. Interesting question is asked. I forgot by who because I didn't have in mind to say this today, but it's in my brain, so I'll say it. The question is, why only half of Menashe? The answer is, it still connects them to Eretz Yisrael, the fact that, you know, they'll have relatives over there, so they won't be like a drift. And by the way, these Ari Meklet did not come into place until the time of Yoshua. Because even though Moshe Benu designated these six Ari Miklat um, that you know in in the in the Abraham Yardane with these tribes that were going to go there, they were not in place because then people could uh, run from Eretz there, and it would it wouldn't be a good situation. Now, the Mikdash also mentions that. By the way, the parsha of a person that kills by accident is referred to. He keeps being called a rotsea in the murderer. And he didn't murder. He murdered by accident. Only somebody who murders by accident has to go to an ear miklat, the cities of refuge. And by the way, they have to take the Rebbe with them. And then the Rebbe has to take the whole yeshiva with them. So they're not left alone spiritually, but they leave their whole families and everything. And they have to live with Levim for the time it takes until... You know, until they it, it, until they uh, can emerge. Why do they have to go to these cities of Miklat? Because they have to learn a lesson. They weren't they weren't thinking, says Mikdashalevi. They weren't thinking. That was their sin. Because if you don't think about something, a person has to know they're always liable. The things that come out of your mouth, you're liable. The things you break are liable. You know, there's a halacha in Parshas Vishpatim that let's say a person is sleeping somewhere and you in the middle of the night take your hand and you knock off a lamp and it crashes to the floor. You're chayev. Even though you were sleeping when you broke the lamp, you're obligated to pay because you should have, when you went to sleep, should have thought, whoa, I'm too close to this lamp here and maybe could break it in my sleep. 
person has to always be thinking. A Jew has to use his brain. He always has to be employing his thought processes. And here, the Rotseach B'Shogeg, the person that kills by accident, okay, he's not a, a murderer. He didn't commit murder. He doesn't have a, pun, a life sentence. But he is, he's, well, there's capital punishment in the Torah, but uh, if a person commits murder by accident, on purpose. But he's still called a Rotseach by the Torah's terms to say you weren't thinking, that's why you, this happened to you. And you have to, and that's the whole year you put your foot with Levium were constantly thinking, you know, they can't defile themselves. They have to be prepared for the vote in the base of Megdish. Their whole consecration to, to serve Hashem. This is the type of lesson that the Roseach B'Shogek has to learn. Now, interesting. Sister Chaim tells us all the inheritances of the different tribes were set aside by a goral. A goral is like a, ra- a lottery thing that they'd each throw in their lots and it would come up where they're each supposed to live. But this is, of course, designated by Hashem. And they also employed the Urim Batumim, the breastplate from the Kohen Gadol um, on the Choshen. Were also, so it was also like a Navua directly from Hashem, which spot would be inherited by each tribe. And you can't have a fight over that because it was des- you know, designed by Hashem. Listen to this. This is what I saw brought from the Sas Emes, and um, and the Sister Chaim brings it down. The Sas Emes, and this is so important to hear this minute. Listen to this thought here, okay? Because it's so relevant to current events. He says, by nature, people feel entitled to everything in the world. You hear that? <laughs> All the people there in Seattle and everywhere else. They feel entitled that everything belongs to me. I can loot. I can take over Saxon Avenue. It's mine. I work harder than them anyways. This, says the Sfas Amos, has its roots in holiness. Really, a person should say, For me, the world was cre- deserved to be created. Just for me. Me, myself, and I. All three of us. The world is for me. But... What does that mean? What does that chazal mean? That chazal means we are here. We have a responsibility. It says that there's Shimon Bar Yochai, or there are many others, there are big tzaddikim that, that said the whole world was in their merit, and all he eats all is a few little bit of carobs a day. That's all he eats. He sustains himself with that. He barely ate the gedolim, the tzaddikim. The whole world, we believe, stands on their shoulders. They barely eat or sleep. So what are they here? So, you know, they don't feel entitled in that way, but they feel responsible. Entitlement is not, shouldn't be in our vocabulary. It should be a thing responsible. Now, we find that the, um, that the, the fact that we had to go through all this with the, with the GORAL and their inheritance, so people shouldn't come to fight because by nature people want everything. Without the police, we would be destroying each other because without law and order, people cannot exist. People need, they need some restraint. They really otherwise want to take it all. They want everything. But the point is we're not supposed to, we're supposed to feel like I have to do everything. I'm not supposed to take everything. Maybe if Hashem wanted me to have everything, like Adam Arisha and was supposed to have everything, yeah, we really is, in, in some respect, the world is supposed to be for one person. But obviously God made us share with other people for a reason. But instead, that feeling of everything's for me is supposed to be, I should feel responsible as if everything is up to me. That's what I should feel. That's how a Jew is supposed to feel. And whatever we get in life, we're supposed to be happy with because mazel is like no zale. That means like something has been poured down to me. That's my destiny. And um, that's what I should be happy. I should, you know, take, take for myself and be happy with. Now, so, so far, again, what we've talked about is that Amuna should be seen, seen. We have to think with implied thought, but be, not be hasty like B'nai Rubain, B'nai God. And, and also, Rotseach Bishgaga has to think. And also, we had, a person has to realize he has to think, he has to be responsible for his actions. And so we learned by the, how a person, how the Eretzistral was d- divided up, and it had to be divided up by the divine alone. We couldn't trust people to make those decisions. Now, next thing we're going to talk about. We talk about this 
desire that these two and a half tribes had for all this green space to feed their cattle, these, um, we have to know something. And that is going to be brought to you by the Sipsei Chaim. And I'm going to read you parts of what he says. Okay. Chazal say in B'medrash Rabbah, Umikna Rav Hayalivne Ruven Vilivne God. Reuven and God had a lot of cattle and sheep. Because it says, Halacha, Gimel Matanas Nivra Uba Olam. Three gifts were given in the world. Zacha Bachasmehen, Natal Chemdas Kolha Olam. If a person merits it, he can have the desire of all the earth. There's three presents God gave. If you deserve it, you can you have the Chemdas Kolha Olam. You'll be desired by everyone on earth. Zacha Bachachma, Zacha Bakol. If you merit wisdom, you've got everything. If you have self-control, you have everything. If you're happy with your lot, or if you also uh, have wealth, you also have everything. Now, these are presents from Shemayim. These are matanos. How can you call them matanos? Um, okay. When are they called presents? From what the, what the, what when they come from Torah, but But if a person has osher, or if they have gevura, or even wisdom, just like you know wisdom of the world, that's nothing. Shlomo says Shakti because said, I see the people that are you know that are that are light. They're not the ones that necessarily win the Olympic races. Not the strong people. They don't always win the war. And the wise people aren't always the people that have bread in their in their pantry. And wise people don't, aren't always wealthy. Because, um, because and, and your meal continues, You can only have these presents if you have what's called Koach HaTorah, that's what the Medrash Rabbah says. Now, the Sifzachim explains to us, what does it mean it's nothing if you don't have Koach HaTorah? What does it mean? Now, and what does it mean it's not a Matana? Everything's a Matana from Hashem, even if you don't have Torah. So, says the Sifzachim, if a person has any gift in his life, whatever that gift may be, uh, let's take it in its simplest fashion. or Ashiras. Person's wise, or they're strong, or they're beautiful, or they're wealthy. Any of those things, that's very well and good. But if they don't know where it's coming from and to whom they owe this obligation, they're not gonna. They're, it's not gonna be used properly. Ain't no clum. It's not gonna do anything for them in this world. And it won't do anything for them in the world to come, obviously. And we find, like, for example, Haman and Korach were two people that had wealth. Where did it get them? Shimshon. Now, Shimshon was a big tzaddik, but his eyes led him astray. We won't go into that now, but in, in a very refined, holy way. It's not like he sinned like people think he did. But Shimshon and Goliath, Lahabdil, both sinned. With, they, they both didn't. Their, their, their strength didn't get them anywhere. And finally, Achisophel and Bilam says the Medrash, with their great wisdom, their Chachma, Bilam had Yenavua, uh, it didn't get them anywhere, and they lost everything. Why? Because we are supposed to, whatever we have in this world, and this is what the Bnei Ruvain did wrong, This, if they were given cattle and green space, on one hand it's right, if you have cattle and green space, fine, you have to worry about that. That's your, that's been a gift from heaven, and you have to serve it for Hashem. But if they would have waited, they'd say, what does Hashem want from me? Where's the gyro? Why am I Why am I bigger than the other shvatim? Why am I, okay, we're worried we're going to take other people's place, you know, other people's space. But Hashem will figure it out for you. There's obviously some, like, little personal thing, and we've experienced it in the Parsha, when they mentioned their sheep and cattle before they mentioned their own children. And they also don't mention Hashem's name in their whole dialogue. Moshe keeps mentioning the name of Hashem, and he switches the order and mentions their children before their cattle to get them on the right path when he responds to them. You look into the Parsha. But in any case, something has to be used 
for the sake of heaven. If it's not, then what's the purpose of it anyways? People will go off on their own personal agendas. We will turn other people off. We will eat ourselves alive with, with the desire for jealousy and honor and, 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 uh, and yeah, jealousy, desire, and honor will take us away from this world. And that's what happens when we don't use it for the sake of heaven. Yeah, that's what the Spas Emmas brings down. He said, once they felt their own personal agenda, for sure this land was meant to be for them, says the Spas Emmas. Once they wanted for their own agenda, then they then it's not for Hashem anymore, and they had to they had to pay for it. And the payment was they were separated from their families in the time of Yoshua for seven years until the entire land was conquered. They, they, they went all the way because they realized that was like the thing from Moshe Rabbeinu that you cannot just think of yourself. So they corrected it, but still, I guess, I guess once a person does something wrong, even with the tshuva they did, there was still must have been something left that they had to go into Gullahs first because they rushed. They went before Moshe Rabbeinu. Like they think they, it's a little bit like, you know, we need this, like we need it. It's like that's, that was their primary concern. And after all those years of lessons, they didn't get it, that Hashem is going to take care of you. He's taken care of you until now. Says the sister, says the Sfasemes, brought down by the sister Chaim, that a person has to realize when we daven, we've mentioned this idea before, but here he says it in this context. A person spends most of their davening, tell me if you don't agree, then you're holy and I should be talking to you more often. We spend much of our davening with requests. Much of our davening is spent saying, Hashem, I need this, that, and the other. We come with a shopping list. But do we spend as much time thanking Hashem? That shows our davening is mostly for ourselves and not for Hashem. For our davening be more to Hashem, most of our davening should be in the thank yous, in the appreciation aspect. And the least of it should be spent on, okay, here's my shopping list. And that's what that's called a vodazara. We mentioned this many times way back when. That when a people are, are you know, into their own avodah, it's as if they ate and drank by none of an avihu. Like the whole idea was when we, after service, you know, that's what avodazara was, in fact. We said it was like this fake thing. You're asking it for all your needs. That's not avodah Hashem. Avodah Hashem is what does Hashem want me to do with the, the, the vessels that I have? And I want to use them properly, and thus they will not be taken away from me. And thus, I will be employing my life in the proper way. So that's the big lesson we have from Ruvain God and Hasid Menashe, to use whatever we have for the sake of heaven. Now, we've probably heard the following story before, maybe at seminary or high school, but it, it uh, deserves to be repeated again because um, we're going to see it like the, as an adult. If, when you hear the story again, it really is shocking that somebody's on such a high madriga. You know, the famous, famous story, but we're going to spin it, you know, to, to, to fit in with what we've just said. The famous story of Rav Shimon Bar Chalasa, who was so poor, he, he, you know, once a, like, you, know, you barely had the necessities. One, Arab Shabbos, he didn't have enough money for Shabbos. He davened, and like a leg of a table came down from Shemayim, and he was able to, you know, it was made of, I think, gold, if I'm not mistaken. And he used it, he brought money from it, he... Um, he went and brought all these delicacies home, and his wife asked him, where'd you get the money? This is really amazing. And he said the truth. He said the truth. I davened for it, because I saw we didn't have for Shabbos. I davened to have food for Shabbos. And his wife said, um, you know, I don't want to take from Shemaim. I want my chalik and olam haba. Our, our, our lot is supposed to be poor. That's your way to serve Hashem. And I don't want to take away from uh, the way we're supposed to serve Hashem is the way I want to continue with. Imagine such a, I, like, as an adult, hearing the story, it's just, her greatness is like uh, unbelievable, you know, like way beyond anything we can believe, you know, as women, to hear this story is big. Anyways, so then um, he told her, he goes to, she said, go to the Rebbe who teaches you Torah, which is Rebbe Noah Kaddish, Rebbe Yudha Nasi, go to him. And, and, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and ask him if we should do such a thing. Rabbi Huda Nasi tried to comfort them. He says, you know, he was a very wealthy man, Rabbi Huda Nasi, Rabbi Nakadish. He says, I'll give you from my Olam Haba, you know, I, I, I'll give you from my Olam Haba for, to, to, to do this. I, I promise you, you're not, to, you won't lose from your Olam Haba taking for Shabbos. 
So she says, I want to go to the person that taught you Torah. She wouldn't accept that, those words. She herself insisted on going. She told her, she said, doesn't it say that no tzaddik sees another one in the world to come? Like, you know, your chalik serving Hashem is supposed to be wealthy. Our chalik is not supposed to be wealthy. This is our chalik. How can I not want to have the chalik that I have? Talk about making lemonades out of lemons. You know, that she just wanted, she wanted to be suffering. She wanted to have it because this was her way to serve Hashem. This is the way that she's going to get her olam haba. That is really remarkable if you think about that. So we we need to, uh, you know, we need to, to be more on the hoda part of things. We need to be part of the thanking Hashem for things. We need to use the things of Hashem Shemayim and, and to be like the wife of Hashem Barchalata who only wanted to, uh, she wasn't willing to take away her chalik. She wanted to use it to serve Hashem, the chalik she was given. Sometimes we don't know for L'shem Shemaim. Rabbi Shroh Salanter used to say, it's even worthwhile to ask a shoemaker. Now, I don't want to belittle the shoemaking industry because, you know, whatever. But he met, I get in those days, they were considered a lower class of people for whatever reason. You know the famous story, by the way, how Rabbi Shroh Salanter started the Muslim movement. Um, in Lita at the time, there was a shoemaker who was very unlearned. I guess the reason why shoemaking was considered lowly because I guess you had to spend a lot of time on it and it took away from Torah learning. So I guess a learned person would not want to engage in being a shoemaker. That's my guess. Anyways, he was unlearned. He just so happened to be. But somehow he won a lottery and he became fabulously wealthy. And immediately he got tutors for himself. He, he got himself, you know, until the point where he became a Talmud Chacham. And later his children got fabulous Shaduchim. He got, oh, tutors for his children as well. Great Malamdim, private tutors. Everybody became great and wealthy. And, and he married off one of his sons to a, to a Talmud, uh, wait, married off one of his daughters to a Talmud Chacham's son. There was a, um, a blacksmith who was very jealous of the shoemaker. And he couldn't stand because, you know, when your next door neighbors and other, someone comes into wealth, that's when you test your jealousy. Two people very similar. Um, okay, anyway, so, so what happened was that um, the, uh, okay, I, I saw part of a question. I'll respond to that in a minute. To know, okay, um, that's, tr that's true that that's feelless. Okay, well, I'll talk about that in a minute. Any case, the, um, I think it's better, uh, now that I'm experiencing this, I think it's better to ask your question verbally, I say orally. That way everyone hears the question, and I hear it, and then we can answer it. I think it's better than just putting it up there, by the way. But in any case, now, so the, uh, I lost my train of thought. Yeah, so the shoemaker at, at his wedding, this blacksmith was so, I don't know, jealous. Under the chuppah, he, he pulls out of his hand a pair of broken shoes, and he says, who can fix these shoes? like to remind him of his past. And um, nobody said anything. No, no Rabbanim, like, made him a chaz, they call it. Didn't, didn't fight, you know, scream about this. And because of that, Rabbi Shroslanta heard about that. When he heard that even Gedolim aren't saying anything, when somebody is put down like that, he decided to make a homeless movement. That was the, the incentive. But Rabbi Shroslanta, on the other hand, we're saying today is that he said you should ask a shoemaker even. If to, to, to make sure you don't have personal biases when you do something. So to get a Muna, we need to think. We need to not have any personal biases. And we have to be use our power of sight. We have to internalize experiential learning with the Muna. When there is an experience that happens to us, try to soak it in. Something that happens to us that's positive where we really see Hashem in our lives. Let's soak it in and, and keep it for the times that we're really going to need it. Musr is very valuable from a friend. You know, like, you know, I know there's parts of it where sometimes we don't like to hear it, but there's always parts that could be valuable for us. And the Musr in this week's Parsha from Sherbainu gives a whole long speech to the B'nai God, Reuven, and Chassim Menashe. There's a story about the Sfas Emes that when he was a young man, he was giving a shear. And he's about to give, before he gave the shear, his grandfather, the Chidush Sherim, comes before him and starts giving it to him. He gave him a whole Musr Shmuz, and he doesn't respond at all. And it was long, a lengthy muster schmooze. And if I'm not mistaken, I, I didn't see this mentioned there, but I think he wasn't even guilty of what he accused him of. So his Talmudim asked him, Rebbe, why did you hear such a long speech? Why don't you say, I hear, I hear in the beginning. Why don't you let it, why did you let it go on so long? So he says, look, in Parsha's uh, Matos, 
when Moshe Rabbeinu rebuked these two and a half tribes, they let him finish because to hear words from Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, even if, even if it's a little lengthy, it's worth it. It helps you have self-improvement to hear somebody criticize you. It's very painful. We should take that part out. And they're sounding like cockroaches, we said before, or like who knows what, you know, that could be coming from a bad side of them. But if there's anything valuable we can learn, that's so important, you know. And let's use our things with shame shemaim. Let's try to dive in at least one thing in our tefillah should be for Hashem and not all of it just for ourselves. I think somebody posted, but I didn't get to the whole thing. They were saying something about davening is an idea of being helpless and how much we need Hashem. And that's why we're reaching out. That's true. We should be asking for requests. And if we don't today, we'll be, we'd be hypocrites because we really aren't on that madrega to only daven for quote shemaim. Like there are people like Lecture of Spey, they said his whole davening on Rosh Hashanah was only for quote Shemayim. It's a big madrega. Well, that is what we're supposed to try to lead ourselves towards. We have to know what we need, 100%. And that's more of a Rosh Hashanah speech. Um, we have to daven for both. We've mentioned this many times. But the, uh, the point is, let, let we not forget that that part is important in our prayer, not just the shopping list, but Hashem, not that we're just only helpless, but we are serving you. We are serving you. We're not self-serving. We know you're the, because by asking Hashem, let's say, for groceries or for whatever we need, it makes us closer. That is for sure. That's why we, they were even allowed to make personal requests. Because if we don't turn to Hashem, we turn to the grocer, we're going to turn to the lawyer, we're going to turn to the doctor. We have to turn to Hashem. We have to learn he's the address. But there's got to be some aspects of gratitude there and, and appreciation and thanksgiving because if we don't have that, that is the moment that we have of the whole day to say thanks, to, to appreciate, to employ our amuna, and to be serving truly of Hashem. Now, this dovetails nicely with what happens with the coin guttle vis-a-vis the Rotsach Bishgaga in this week's Parsha. Why is it so tied in with the people that committed murder, albeit by accident? Like why is it the coin guttles Ptira and the mothers would give them food and everything so they won't daven that their son should die or they should daven, he should live, whatever. Now, Rav Dessler explains that since everything we have in life is a gift, is it, is, if we're entrusted with something by Hashem to use Hashem Shemayim, we're entrusted with things, um, even in Ruchnius, we have things, and the only reason we are given something in Ruchnius is for others. Look who is the highest madrake of all Jews, Moshe Rabbeinu, and he had to share it. He had to, he had to talk to, he was, he gave his life for Klai Yisrael. He said, Macheni na misifracha. I'll be erased from your book if you, if you, if you, if, if, if the Jews aren't saved. He put his life out for Jews. That's the, that's the um, calling of every single Gadol Yisrael, every great man or woman. Or any leader. It could be a leader of a family. That means you're the mother. <laughs> it could mean you, you, you've led somebody in a certain way. Whatever it is, if you have somebody that looks to you in spiritual matters, you have an obligation to pray for them and to think about that. Why? Because even in spiritual matters, whatever we have, much of it is from Hashem. It says, Habalatayr Messiah Whoever comes to purify themselves is purified by Hashem. Hashem helped you with it. You didn't get it. You didn't get your madrega all by yourself. Hashem helped you. So a tzaddik, where it says Rav Dessler, should not be able to rest until he can. He sees every other person doing tshuva and being saved and being given more chances. That's what a tzaddik's hope should be. That everybody. So he should be davening for the people in Ir Miklat. If he would have davened for them, perhaps they wouldn't have been. They wouldn't have. They wouldn't. It wouldn't have happened. They everyone have been raised to a higher level. And the person wouldn't have, you know, been, they wouldn't have had that, that, that situation they were put in where they had to kill somebody by accident. So their, 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 their failure to think wouldn't have been to such high degree because the Kohen Gadol's prayers for the world would have been enough of a Kiddush Hashem. They didn't need to see it. They didn't need corrections in this way. Now, when a Kohen Gadol davens, he gives more Kavit Shemayim because he's showing that Hashem is so kind to all of us. Hashem loves us so much, and Hashem cares about the lowliest people. That's what his tefillahs should serve as. That's an amazing thing. He davens for the rain shouldn't fall, you know, um, you know so, uh, so people, when people are, you know, he davens the rain should fall on the right times, but he also davens the people should have parnasa, 
He davens for the littlest things for people because that is a mark of a great person is to care about the little things of others. It's the biggest kind covet shemaim is that when you see a tzaddik caring about others because that reflects how Hashem cares for us. And that's like the biggest reason people don't have bitachon is sometimes people think, Hashem should care for me. I'm such a lowly person. What have I done? We have to understand Hashem loves us without boundaries. And that's supposed to be reflected back in the way a tzaddik behaves. Now, there's different stories, like, for example, for Simcha Zizel, right before he was nifter, the Altus and Kelm. What did he do? He, um, he decided on his deathbed, he told his family, make sure my clothes are properly washed and ironed before you give them to the poor. Those were his last words. Or Rabbi Shroll Salanter, his last words were, there was a man in the room with him, and he said, don't be afraid of being alone in the room with a corpse. Those were his final words before he left the world. Or another another Sadekis, Rebbe Tzadikis, Perel Cutler, her last actions were she told Ravaran Cutler's students to be there with her husband. She left his bedside so his students could be there the last minute to get whatever they needed for their Torah learning. That's, that's quite a, a giving in of yourself. So that idea of the coin Gadol has to govern the smallest people. By the way, you know, there's another, I don't remember where I had this source, but it was in one of the farms that I read, perhaps in the Bitaqan Weekly many years ago, that interestingly enough, the signs for the Ir Miklat were posted in big letters, so anyone knew how to run to the Ir Miklat. But when you had to go to Yerushalayim to make Ola Regal, there were no signs. The reason was, when you're Ola Regal, you're supposed to get other people to go, encourage them. You're supposed to ask, which way to Yerushalayim? And other people would, you know, would, would bring you in, and all these people, crowds would congregate to go to your shrine. Arotech Mishdaka is embarrassed, you know, like, excuse me, you know, one thing to ask for the bathroom, it's another thing to ask, where's the Ermiklat? You know, I killed somebody by accident, where's the nearest Ermiklat? Hashem posted it to avoid the embarrassment of Rotham. And also, Moshe Rabbeinu's last act was that he set aside a place for people to Rotech Mishdaka to care about other people, to have, you know, this is showing really the caring of Hashem, it's mirroring it, and this is how much Hashem cares for us. We need Hashem's chesed, you know, we need to see Hashem's chesed for Muna that we don't deserve. You know, that's why we recount in 40 years all the different places we went in the desert. Like a father remembers all of us, you know. There's a Gemara which talks about in Baba Messiah, Chaf Aleph Omer Aleph we're told that Rav Yochanan ben Masia had to do some head work done for him, and he had to have poalim. He had to he employ some workers, and um, he gave them, you know, their reward. Their, you know, he gave them their their money afterwards, and he also gave them some food. And his father says, "Remember, even if you gave him a sudas shana melech b'shatay, even if you gave him a meal like shlema melech lo yisasi yadei chayvaska." You didn't give them what they deserve because they're B'nai Avram Yitzhak It's an important lesson, you know, that, you know, you owe somebody. So you're supposed to give a Jew who deserves everything. Hashem says, look how much I loved you. I took you here. You sinned for me there. He's recounting in Parshish Masai all the things we did, and yet, he's still our God. He hasn't abandoned us. He cares for us. He gives us so much. For Amuna, Moshe was ready right away to go and give up his life to to take revenge against the Midianim and then to establish the Aramiklat, although he would mean his his he would pass away right after. Interestingly enough, Pinchas is sent out to war. Why did Moshe Rabbeinu do it himself? So Rechaim Shvulevitz from Labracha answers that Midian is the place where Moshe lived for so many years when he was a fugitive. And you can't throw stones into a well that has benefited you. So Moshe Rabbeinu could not bring himself to fight himself against the Midianim. Albeit it was his last mitzvah on earth, he sent it through Shliach, through Pinchas. That's amazing. How did he understand to do this? And you know we see it in another place, very, uh, very famous place, and that is that when Moshe Rabbeinu had to hit the water to bring Dam and Fardea, if you look in the Psukim, Aaron is the one to take the staff of Moshe Rabbeinu and to save the Bnei Israel through the Makos, he sends it to Ushleah because the water once saved his life as a child. In all these cases, Moshe Rabbeinu did not want to strike something that had benefited him 
And Hashem, so to speak, didn't censure him. He wasn't censured. Censure of Chaim Shvulevitz. Why? Because when Hashem commands you to do something, it can't be something go against Takara Satov. That can't be a nevuah. If you're getting a revelation from Hashem or a command from Hashem, if within it there's something to go against someone that's benefited you, to hurt them in any way or to do something negative against them, that can't be Hashem. Because part of having a Muna, besides the fact that you have to think before you do something, besides the fact that you have to realize Hashem is tremendous chesed, and that's going to internalize your Muna. besides the fact that to actualize the Muna, is you have to have Hakara Satov. The more we recognize good, that's the more we're going to realize there's Hashem here, even in the bad times. So that's why he knew it, it was it was not it was a given. It was a given to him. Thank you, Hannah Devara. <laughs> um, I appreciate that, um, especially coming from you. The um, the 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 fact that Moshe Rabbeinu. I see when I get these written notes, they're beautiful, but it stops me from thinking. Whereas a question is better. Any case, but. Um, that was a comment and was very sweet of you. Thank you. Anyways, but um, the, for Amuna, this is very important. It can't negate Hakara Satov. Hakara Satov is a prerequisite for Amuna. Modim is very important Shmonesra. We bow down, just like the first bracha of Shmonesra. That's, that's so important that Chidah said if you weren't Yotze, and the, well, this is just the Chidah. If you don't go by Chidah, we're in trouble. But the Chidah said if you weren't Yotze by the first bracha of Shmonesra, you can be Yotze with Modim. Because modem is idea, I appreciate something. I appreciate, by more appreciation, that's how we internalize our amuna more. Now, we find interesting, the, uh, the Nachlas Eliezer tells us, they wait until the coin Gadol was nifter. Because, interesting, they, the, 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 um, the Gadol is taught, if you neglected somebody, then you're dependent on their prayers. You neglected a person. You neglected davening for somebody. You're dependent on the prayers of a Roseach, <laughs> Bishkaga, albeit. We, we need other people. It's not just because, you know, we have, we've had these gifts of a madrega. We have to share them with the wealth with others. That's true. But others have a gift, too. They can get, tefillah is such a powerful force that even the, the tefillahs of Korach, we had to be reckoned with. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I'll take in al milim chasami. He had to say, don't listen to the tefillahs of Karach. And here the tefillahs of the Rotskim Bishkaga will be answered over the Kohen Gadol if he doesn't daven for them. He has to think of them. He has to daven for them or otherwise it's not, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. So even as people grow in their spirituality, in their connection with Hashem, in their chas, everything, we have to think of others and the ruchnias, not just gashmias. Now, We'll just end off that there's a tie-in with all this with the three weeks. You know, the, the, when Moshe Rabbeinu censures the B'nai God in Ruvain and Chassim and Asha, he tells them, he reminds them of the Chedem Aradlin. You know, you're complaining like, the, I mean, you want only, you don't want real Eretz Yisrael and you're asking for a different portion, so to speak. He's insinuating. Why were they afraid to go to Eretz Yisrael proper? And I believe this is the Mikdash Halevi. I didn't write it down. Why were they afraid to go to Eretz proper? Because here they had all these Nisim. And, and you know, and, and they want to go into, Gullis, like, so to speak, Gullis compared to Eretz They don't want to go to Eretz proper. They want to stay there in Gullis. After you see all, witness all these miracles, they didn't appreciate enough. They didn't appreciate enough. So Gullis is given to somebody because when you don't appreciate the good, if you lose it for a while, it's a correction. You won't, you won't be rebellious anymore afterwards. You won't complain about Eretz Yisrael. So, too, it's a real tie-in with the three weeks. You know, we have to go through these three weeks of mourning where we're lessening our pleasures, and it gets tightened up more and more. And by doing that, it makes us appreciate more what life is about, how much Hashem has given us. Because one of the complaints from Rockland is, they said, Basinas Hashem Osano, Parshas Sabarim, it says, and they're recounting the story, when Moshe Rabbeinu recounts the story of the Miraglim, the Jews apparently said, Hashem hates us. That's why we're about to go into Israel, because there's these giants there. They spinned it in a negative way. They said, Hashem hates us. If they say Hashem hates them, what they're thinking is that Hashem is not all giving. He's not all kind. That's how they're seeing Hashem. Hashem says, you know what? 
if you take away something, you'll see how much I loved you all along, how much we take for granted the regular. Look at what we're in now, this, the state of affairs. And in Baruch Hashem, we have a lot. We have food and drink and we have laundry machines and we have everything we need, basically. But we're missing socialization with people. We're missing the hug. We're missing a lot of our grandchildren. We're missing things. But, you know, maybe it'll make us realize even those, not to take life for granted, not to take, we did have so much and we were complaining and we weren't, we weren't appreciating. And that's what the three weeks are for. Not only to long for Eretz Yisrael, but to appreciate Eretz Yisrael and appreciate the Shechina and appreciate that the Shechina is, is waiting for us to be more close with it. Hashem wants us to, to appreciate what he's given for us and have him mock your tov. And that is all from, from taking it away. We, we should remember what we had. Skelena Reva, the Tzal, says, we always read Parshas Masai during this period because to remember that Hashem recounted everything we went through. And he wanted, he, he's leading us because on his way to lead us home to Eretz Yisrael, Hashem is recounting everything we went through through this horrible gullus. And he wants us to come home soon. You know, we have so much, they said so much Torah was lost during this COVID. There are people... I heard that there are people who went off to Derek and certain kids because of the, the way the schools were run. That's what I was told that in, in certain larger cities, there were a lot of kids that were really turned off from the whole Zoom situation. And, you know, a lot of Torah has been lost. It's a big test for us, you know. And hopefully we'll appreciate the Torah more and appreciate the Shekhinah and it'll lead us to the Gula Shleim of Amherav Yemenu Amen. And I thank you so much for listening through thought, through not erasing our personal biases. Hakara Satov. Thinking of others. Thinking of all the pleasure and chesed Hashem does, though we don't deserve it. And don't have personal biases in our tefillah. Try to put down something for Hashem. Try to think of Hashem in our tefillahs. And at being, seeing is believing. I thank you for listening. I thank the wonderful moderator, Rivka Shasta. She should be Gazin Shark. And I've had slacha in everything she does. And merit great hatzlacha in her in everything. And all of you, I wish you a wonderful week. And next week, I'm not giving a share because according to my Rav, Rabbi Lowy Shlita, and my doctor, I was told I can go to the brisk next week, so I will not be here for next year. But in two weeks, if you want me, I will be here for the nine days to give you a share on the nine days. Thank you for listening.